Welcome to Cornerstone Bible Fellowship's online sermons. Join us each week as we dig into the truths of God's Word. You can find our sermons online at cbf.us sermons. We'd love to have you join us for our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at our campus at 7351 Warden Road, Sherwood, Arkansas. Now, let's listen to this week's sermon. Good morning. I'm Mark, Mark Wooderson, uh, my wife Diane, down here in the second row, and in the church directory, we're third from the end, we're the last W in the directory on this uh, computer that some people still call a phone in your church directory, there you'll find us there. My email address is there, if you uh, have any questions about... uh, about what I'm sharing here this morning, or you'd like uh, information on any of my sources, I'd be happy to interact with you. We, as Bill said, we became, we, are, we visited Cornerstone on the second Sunday in September in 2017. We moved here over Labor Day weekend, 2017, so one more month, Labor Day weekend coming up, we will have been in Sherwood for three years. Coming from Iowa, Diane and I graduated from the same high school. Uh, We had our first date my senior year, and then through family connections, I actually ended up going to college down the I-30 in Arkadelphia to Washita. So I'm a Washita grad. That's my Arkansas connection. And I got my degree in business administration right after graduated, went back home to Iowa. Diane came down, her Right after her senior year, my sophomore year was her freshman year, and so we were there together. We were married while we were in college, had our first child there, so that's, and we always talked about someday, you know, moving back a little further south. We didn't, we wanted to get out of snow country, for one thing, and we've got some grandkids here in Sherwood, so the grandkids are the big draw to get us here, and we wanted to invest in them during their formative years. This morning... Uh, we're, I'm going to share a topic that I believe is very important and critical for any believer, any family, anyone who proclaims the name of Jesus Christ, and uh, we're going to talk about that. My sources are, I'm a, we're a basketball family. By the way, my youngest son, grandson, my youngest grandson is, uh, he's Ryan, he's going into the fifth grade this year, you might make a note of that name, Ryan Wooderson, he's going to be in the NBA someday. He's already decided that. So we're basketball nuts, and there's a book my wife gave me on one of my birthdays a few years ago called The Whistleblower. Now, it's a book about basketball officiating, and it highlights the life of uh, Ed Hightower. Am I doing something wrong here? Is this too close to my pull it out? There we go. Is that better? All right. If it clicks again, let me know. Don't want to be distraction here. Ed Hightower was an NCAA tournament referee. He, he, he refereed in 12 Final Fours. And uh, he, he, he refereed in uh, major conferences, the Big Ten, the Big East, Big 12, the Missouri Valley. So well-known national figure. This is a story about his life. And I'm going to quote his mother what she taught him growing up. 
And this book here is a Bible commentary written by a man by the name of William MacDonald. He's, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord now. He's a Bible scholar in the churches that we were in fellowship with, the churches uh, in fellowship of uh, our group of churches in Iowa that we were part of. The, the name of it, if you had to place a tag on it, would be Plymouth Brethren. But there aren't a lot of that type of church here. But it's elder-led, elder-ruled, just like Cornerstone. And when we came to Cornerstone, one of the first things we when we came to Arkansas, we made the move to buy our house, and we started looking online, and we found Cornerstone in Sherwood, elder-led, just like the church we were comfortable with in, in Iowa. And so this man wrote 84 books. And the interesting thing of it is, he refused to accept royalties on any of it. So he didn't want it to be thought that he was writing these books to make money. He was imparting the word of God. This is the New Testament section of his commentary. This one about this size for the Old Testament. I, I studied, the, I read this a lot whenever I prepare to teach. I love to open the word of God, and we need to dive into that here now. The topic of the day is submission. Submission to authority. And as is our practice here, when let's, we'll take the opening passages of Ephesians chapter 6. So if you could turn, if you could stand with me in honor of reading God's word, we will start in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Some versions say nurture and admonition. Verse 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, so you're not doing it for show, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Verse 9, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. And then it transitions immediately into the whole armor, the armor of God. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You may be seated. Now, I don't think it's any accident that immediate transition right here bundled together with these verses on obedience is warfare. It is spiritual warfare. Obedience Submission, it's not natural. It's a struggle. Parent, children don't come out of the womb immediately obedient. They need to be taught. They need to be instructed. They need to be disciplined. And in verse 5, the King James says, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. According to the flesh. That's to say the physical and the mental things that we owe 
our boss, who we report to, whoever is our master. That's what a servant owes, is for the work that we're assigned to do, that we're paid to do. And then in verse 9, the King James says there, and ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, forbearing. What's forbearing? Forbearing is being patient and restrained. So it's a two-way street. And believers in the workplace, in life, wherever we are interacting, certainly within the family structure, are to be like this passage says for us to be. It's an attitude. It's a way of life. And any time the same topic, the same point is repeated in Scripture, it's there for good reason. And this children obey your parents. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. It's also in Colossians 3. And it's one of the, the children obey your parents. It's one of the Ten Commandments. So kids, remember that. It's, it's, God, it's what God wants us to do to be obedient to our parents. Now, personally, we've experienced this, Diane and I have, in our family when our daughter, our daughter's name is Angela, and uh, she was a model student, you know, really easy to parent, we thought. Sweet girl. One day she came home in tears, totally destroyed by the fact that she had gotten a detention. It was bad because she was talking in class. She was upset, and she was big time upset because the teacher made an example of her. And she, everybody else was talking, but the teacher singled her out and slapped her with a detention. And so she was upset, and I said, well, Angela, is there a rule in your class? No talking? Yes. Were you talking? Yes, but everybody else, were you? Well, let's not talk about everybody else. Was Angela talking? Yes. I said, well, Angela, it looks to me like you're guilty, and here's what we need to do. We need the teacher said you can pick your day, go serve your detention, and be done with it. It's it's let's just move on. Well, we forgot about it to be honest. It was no big deal to us. It was a big deal to her. During that whole his embarrassment, stay behind. The whole class is looking at her as they're walking out the door to serve her detention. She was totally embarrassed, but she did it. In the next parent teacher conference, the teacher said, you know, I want you guys to know. That that day, and these are her words, the day I slapped Angela with that detention, I was having a bad day. I did make an example of her. I knew if I slapped Angela with it, they would all shape up, and I knew as soon as I did it, I was wrong. But I also knew that I'd never hear a word from either of you about it, and I want you to know I appreciate that. Now, that isn't so odd in and of itself, except that if she went out of her way to say that, it must be unusual. It must be fairly common for parents to object to that kind of thing. Our sister-in-law is a retired school teacher in uh, suburban Kansas City. And about five years before her retirement, we were at her, around the kitchen table talking about retirement and what's coming up. And she said, you know, I got five years to go, and I don't know if I can make it. And I said, are the kids that bad? And she said, no, it's not the kids. I love the kids. It's the parents. It's the parents. There's the problem. Anything you do, they come into your office and attack you, and it's a common theme 
So it's not common. And in our society, it's growing. My career, by the way, I've been working the last 21 years with law enforcement. I work for a software company. We provide software for police departments and sheriff's offices in a lot of different states. Last year, I traveled. I, I was in 15 different states, some of them more than once. I spent uh, one-third of the year in hotel rooms. I had it's 365 days. I, I counted them up, over 120 nights in hotels. But part of that was some nice vacation time and some of my trips, especially back to Iowa. I do a lot of business in Iowa. Diane was able to go along. So it wasn't all bad, but I'm well-traveled. I was in Washington State, Arizona, New Mexico, across the south, over to Alabama, up the, the Florida, the Carolinas. Everywhere you go in law enforcement, it's the same thing. Early retirement is on the increase all across our country. And I did a little bit of research locally. It's the same right here in Little Rock, too. This year... It's even higher. Law enforcement, early retirement, the pressures that they're under, the objections that they receive constantly, the resistance to authority. It's part of our society, and it's growing and increasing. I was in a small town waiting to see the police chief a few years ago, and the, and the chief was in, the secretary said, he'll be right with you. He's with, someone's with him right now, and I could hear yelling through the door. And they were calling it, I mean, one guy, you could tell it wasn't the chief doing the yelling, it was a citizen calling the chief by his first name, so he obviously knew him well. And, and then it was over, and the door opened, and the guy marched out of the office in anger, and the secretary went in and a couple minutes with the chief, and then she came out, and she said, he'll see you now, so go on in. So I did. And he was just sitting there, kind of how you might be if you were yet just yelled at. And I said, tough day? He said, you know, I've known that guy for many years. Our sons were on the same little league team together. And along about junior high, his boy started getting into trouble, and daddy would always come to the rescue. In high school, it got a little worse, and now that he's out of school, He's gotten into some pretty serious trouble, and his father's yelling at me, wanting to bail his child out who's back there sitting in the jail right now. And so that, that is what happens in society when we do not submit to authority, and we do not teach that to our children, and when we don't live it out ourselves. Um, Talking about Ed Hightower, he, uh, as I said, he, he refereed, he's a decorated official, well accomplished. He's retired now. He was a, his career, his peak of his career, he was the superintendent of schools for Edwardsville, Illinois. It's a pretty sizable community, 23,000 population. There's 7,500 total students in the school system. So you don't get that kind of a job unless you're well qualified for it. And he talked about his upbringing. He, he was born and raised in the Boot Hill of Missouri. Is that north? Yeah, northeast Missouri. Uh, north, southeast Missouri, northeast Arkansas, right there around Kennett. 
and that's, that's the area where he grew up. Uh, they were very poor growing up, going to a country school. In second grade, he had a teacher in the class that was just a, a bad teacher. She was, the kids accused her of, you know, disorganization. They weren't learning what they needed to learn, and they actually accused her of tipping the bottle a little bit, coming to the classroom, and Dad went home and complained to his mom about it. And she said, this is from this book, The Whistleblower. This is his mother talking. The teacher's in charge. Do as you're told. And she, the, the deal is, I got the points up there. Yeah, you can see them. It was not the place for underlings to evaluate authority. That's what his mother believes. That's what she taught him. The social order was governed by a system that bestowed benefits according to the rules that it chose to call fair. Second-guessing the system wasn't going to work. So her, her answer was, do things the right way. Work hard. Do what's expected. Give back. So that's when he was in second grade. Now, in the fifth grade, they moved north to uh, across the river from St. Louis, where his mother could get a By the way, their parents, he was, he was raised, they went every Sunday to a local Baptist church there in the boot hill. And, uh, uh, and he was the second child, the oldest son of his mother and her father. He had an older sister. He was the first of six boys born in succession, and then a younger sister. So there's eight kids, eight kids in the family. And somewhere there in grade school, he and his mother, his mother and his father, I'm sorry, were separated. And she took the kids, moved north to suburban St. Louis on the Illinois side, got a factory job, and that's their new school. In sixth grade, he thought that he had earned the spot to be honored as a patrol guard. So sixth grade kids in this grade school, the outstanding students who were good in the classroom, were exemplary citizens of the school, were, giving the on, were given the honor of being on the patrol guard. But Ed didn't get it. And he was pretty sure he knew the reason why. The reason why, he was a black child. And he thought it was discrimination. And he's probably right. And he went to his mother, and here's what his mother said here when he was in the sixth grade. And the author said she knew more than her children would ever know about racial prejudice and its many insidious cruelties because she grew up in Mississippi. She moved when she was 18 to be married in the boot heel, but she grew up in, the, in Mississippi in 18 years prior to that time period. So here's what she said. What does a school patrol have to do with anything? What does it matter? Do your work, get good grades, do as you're told. It's a hard line for a parent to take. Romans 13 Paul wrote, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. 
For he is God's servant for your good. Talking about the authorities. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, there is an exception in Scripture. It's in Acts chapter 5. And the example is the, the apostles and Peter, in particular, were called before the chief priests, and they were quizzed, and they were told in Acts chapter 5, verse 27, we strictly charged you not to teach in his name. And they had. But yet, here you are. You filled Jerusalem. I mean, there was a lot going on in Jerusalem right in that period of Acts, man. People were coming to Christ. The church was growing. And they is out of control, according to the chief priest. Said, you're, you intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. That's the exception the governing authority we submit to until it comes to denying the faith. Right out of Scripture. Then here in Acts chapter 6, the church was growing so fast, the deacons were appointed. There was Stephen, who the Bible says was full of grace and power. He preached before the high priest in chapter 7. Then he was stoned. Saul approved of the stoning of Stephen. In chapter 8 of Acts, Saul was personally ravaging the church. He was going into homes, taking men and women and throwing them into prison because they dared to say, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is my Savior. They paid a heavy price for it. They went to prison. Then chapter 9... Saul's conversion, and then in chapter 10, the Gentiles began to hear the word of God because of the persecution. Now, here again, <coughs> excuse me, as I said earlier, when you see a repetition of a passage in Scripture, children obey your parents, here it is, the same concept being repeated in 1 Peter chapter 2, submission to authority. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent to him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should, be, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. By doing this, by doing good, by being submissive citizens, you are putting to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's how we live. Honor everyone in verse 17. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now here we go. Not only to the good ones and gentle, but also to the unjust. You have a harsh taskmaster you're still to be respectful and submissive. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And verse 21, for this you've been called. Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. Uh, it, it, when I was preparing this, my thoughts went to that video that we saw in February about the believers in Pakistan 
and the suffering that they endure, they were, if you did not, if you weren't here to see that, you should request to see, I, I contacted Nick this week to see it again myself to get the YouTube video link. It's a five-minute video, and if you don't have that, you can reach out. I've got it. I can send it to you if you want to email me for it. But they are, the, the narrator was one of the ones in the, in the church who said, we are banished to the lowest place in society. We cannot get good jobs. We have no voice in the government. We know we will never advance. What kind of hope do you have? You're honoring Christ, and that's the reason these things are, these living conditions that you have. And he said, to close it, he said, while our country has turned its back on us, God has not. Pray that we will persevere in our faith no matter the cost. Bill McDonald, in his commentary, on his opening introduction to the book of 1 Peter, this is the first paragraph. He said, Christians in Muslim and Marxist countries are so used to repression, hostility, and even downright persecution that they almost come to expect it. For them, 1 Peter is a tremendous practical help in accepting suffering as allowed by the Lord and is beneficial in producing certain desirable qualities such as perseverance. Paul said in Philippians, the first chapter, that his imprisonment was good and was for the furtherance of the gospel. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of my imprisonment that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Children, remember when, when uh, Sharon was going through the story of Joseph? And one of the segments she shared right here uh, before the message one Sunday morning, a few weeks ago, was Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So Joseph said, in the big picture of things, it wasn't bad. The next thing I'm going to share, I debated within my own heart whether or not to say this, but I actually went online to look at opposing viewpoints to what I'm teaching here this morning and what I do believe to be true from the Word of God. And I found an article, I'm not even going to reveal the source. Again, if you want to know where I got it, uh, I'll share it with you, but it's, it's, it's heresy, it's absolute heresy. And the title of the article, I cut and pasted this off the internet, it says, no, Romans 13 is not about obeying governing authorities. And he goes on, he starts out quoting by, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, Romans 13. So he quotes what we just read. And then he quotes, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. 1 Peter chapter 2, what we just read. So he starts with that, can't deny it, it's in the Bible. But then he says, these passages are too often used to crush dissent, stifle protest, and discourage civil disobedience. We live in times when dissent is more important than ever. 
And he says, I'm concerned that if we don't get this right, we could easily find ourselves treading the path of the German church under Hitler's Nazi government. So it's in the spirit of social justice that it's going to be politics that will fix our problems, not God, who is in control of our world. You know, every time I stand up to open the word of God, it never fails that my heart goes to James chapter 3. When someone teaches the word of God, you better be right. You better be accurate because there's a heavy price to pay. I don't really know even what the price would be necessarily, but it's pretty severe. And we'll read it right here. James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And Jesus said in Matthew 18, the disciples are debating who be the greatest in the kingdom. What will it take to be great in heaven, Jesus? And he said, he called a little child to him. And he sat the child on his knee, on his lap. And he said, unless you become like this child and humble yourself innocently, that's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he said, and so here's what he said about a child. That's how he sees you and I, by the way. That's how he sees me. That's how he sees you. We are his children. We're to be humble like that child before our Lord. And he said, whoever receives one such child receives me. I'm pointing the finger. I, who knows what Jesus was like. He might have raised his voice a little bit like I am right now. Whoever causes one of these little ones to, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. The next slide is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For we walk in the flesh, though we walk in the flesh, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is a lofty thought. It's heresy. It's wrong. It's in opposition to the word of God. And there are people out there teaching such a thing today. Uh, Bill McDonald in his commentary said, those who have been justified by faith are obligated to be subject to human government. In every ordered society, there will be authority there must be authority and submission to that authority. Otherwise, you have a state of anarchy, and you cannot survive indefinitely under anarchy. And you can read there what it says. This does not mean that God approves of all human rulers, everything they do. He doesn't believe in corruption, doesn't approve of it, brutality, tyranny. But the fact remains that authorities that exist are appointed by God. Believers can live victorious in a democracy, a constitutional monarchy, or even a totalitarian regime. And then later, in that same section where he's in his Romans 13 review, in the commentary, he quotes another man that I don't even know who it is, but it's a great quote, and I wanted to share it this morning. It said, it's Leslie Lyle, who said, the ultimate Christian answer to persecution, detractors, and critics is that of a blameless life. 
conduct above or beyond reproach, and good citizenship. In particular, submission is a supremely Christ-like virtue. It's true in the church. We've talked about school, raising our children, being submissive to government, being submissive to those who have authority over us. And in the church, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says quite clearly, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's our elders. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Our elders someday before the Lord will give an account. And those who have served before them and those who someday will serve after them, those who fill the role of elder in the church will give an account for the Lord. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, are we to follow them blindly? No. No. Scripture says in Acts 17, the Berean church, remember that? Paul commended them. He held them up. <laughs> he said the Berean believers were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, but they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are true. Measure it by the word of God. We don't automatically reject it out of hand, but we do confirm it. We need to be in the word ourselves to know what the word of God says and confirm what we're being taught. A couple of weeks ago on our Wednesday morning prayer time that Bill mentioned, every Wednesday morning at 6 o'clock, the, the pattern is there's a devotion time. Then we break up for individual prayer, and we come back together, share requests, and pray as a group. And this particular week, this topic was obedience is better than sacrifice. In your worship guide, on that list of scriptures, there's a bunch of them. But I'm just going to share one. Rome, Proverbs 21. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now what's that saying? Let's read it again. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. It's not what we say. It's not even coming in here on Sunday morning and offering our worship. It is to do it, to live it, to live it out in our lives. These tough verses about submitting to a harsh boss. The thing about being not harsh as a manager to a slacker employee, I don't know, somebody who isn't towing the line, that's not, that's not modeling Christ. It's how we live. The last two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes, this is not on the board. This is the summation of the book. There's 12 chapters. These are the last two verses. The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Jason read this just a few weeks ago. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So the summary is, children, obey your parents. Students, 
Obey your teachers. Citizens, obey the authorities. Employees, obey your employer. Live it out publicly. Teach your children. Live it out before your children. Teach your grandchildren. Live it out before your grandchildren. You know, uh, my son and I, it comes over like they're involved in another solid church in town. Uh, and we share the, the, the faith. And we talk about intense things sometimes. We'll talk about scripture. We'll talk about politics. <laughs> and when Kevin gets on a roll, he can be pretty intense and bold. And you know what I notice? It's kind of fun to watch. His kids' eyes are glued to him. They are glued to him. When he's espousing his view, they're listening to their dad. Obedience is better than sacrifice. It's how we live. Live it out before your kids. Submission should be our example to others. It should be our way of life. Jesus' death demonstrated his submission. That was Jason's last bullet point last week. John chapter 19. Verse 30, when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He gave his life. It wasn't taken from him. Last thought here before we wrap up. When Paul went before the, uh, Paul was on his way back to Jerusalem. He fully expected, we're talking in Acts chapter 20. He was expecting to be killed. He wanted to meet with the official elders one last time. And when he met with them, here's what he said to them. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks of repentance towards God and faith. I... Remember how I lived. Remember how I lived out what I taught. Not just what I taught. Remember how I lived it out. Two weeks from now, there's a members meeting. The elders will be announcing a lot of things. And you and I might be hearing some of that. I mean, it's online. They've announced that. Uh, much of the business that will be discussed is online on our website. So you can go there and see that. And I've done that. I've read it all. But, you know, there will be some things. There will be some changes made that maybe are a little uncomfortable for some of us. But just know the elders have labored over that in prayer. They spent hours discussing the business of the church. They uh, have prayed over it. They searched the scriptures. And uh, they're open to questions and input, but it's our job as believers, members of the body, to support them and to submit to their leadership and to follow their guidance. And then there's another thing where, you know, this might even be tougher. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if it's commonly known, but in November, there's going to be an election. Did you all know that? Okay, there's going to be an election. And some people are going to be disappointed with the outcome. Some people are going to be sorely disappointed with the outcome. And so I'm talking Mark now. You can listen in if you want. 
had a preacher, a, a pastor in high school, junior high, high school. He said, when you point your finger like this, just remember there's three coming right back at you. So I'm pointing the finger back at myself, and I've really thought about this. Is it Mark? What if the election doesn't go the way you'd like to see it? You stood up here on Sunday before the whole body and boldly proclaimed submission to the authorities, even the bad one. And I thought about that. How will Mark respond? How will Mark live it out? What will Mark's Facebook posts be like if things politically don't go my way? We all need to think about that. Thank you so much. You've welcomed us with open arms three years ago when we came here. We love it here. We love our Cornerstone family. I thank you for your kind attention this morning. And I want to close in prayer. Father, speak to us through your word. I thank you for the way you spoke to me in my preparation for this. I pray that it can be received in truth. And any missteps or misspoken words I may have said will not block the truth of the word that you have for each one of us, the message individually for us to take to heart and live out in our lives. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you very much.